In this episode of the Magic Business Podcast, we'll reveal this and more. At the end of the day, when they're finished, they have to feel that they know you. Whether they know the true you, they got to know that true character, that character, and feel that honest. This guy is telling me about something about him. That's what art form is. To the Magic Business Podcast. This is where we share insightful and delightful inner secrets about the business of magic. Here is where magic professionals are going to share some of their real life experiences and some of their most guarded secrets to help further your career in the magical arts. I'm your host, Christian Painter, in partnership with the MagicOracle.club, where you can hear all of our magic business podcasts. Eric DeCamps won the prestigious gold medal award from the SAM. He is one of only two people who have ever been given this award. He now lives in New York City, where he has launched many off-Broadway one-man magic shows. He has toured these shows in New Jersey, Texas, L.A., Chicago, Indianapolis, and Montreal. This is a two-part podcast about creating and selling your show to a theater audience. This episode examines the product, how we build a quality show that audiences will love. We'll discuss the selling of the show in the second installment. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hey, good to see you. I mean, good to hear you, Christian. <laughs> this is audio only. I want to share with my listeners, I heard about you for a long time and uh, tried to see your show. And somehow I always just missed it. In fact, one time you were in Chicago, which wasn't too far away from me. And out that I missed you. But I'd always heard, oh, Eric's really good. And then I would ask, oh, what's he do? Well, he does classical magic. Mm-hmm. And, and you have that half beat where you're like, that doesn't that doesn't sound exciting. And then I actually got to see you perform, uh, finally, and I became an instant fan. And and because I think uh, it's not because I think when people just say, "Oh, he does classical magic," they're not really hitting the the fullness of what you really put into a performance. And so that's why I'm really excited to have you is for you to talk about. How you because what I did is I saw your full show, and so that's what I want to kind of how do you develop this show? Well, what happens is you know, first of all, I, I have a series of effects that I've worked on for a long time, and then I then I put them all on paper and then or slips of paper and move them around. Oh, well, today, today it's easier because you have uh, you know, Word or or and you can move things around, and then I look and see. What would be what I would think would be a good opener? What I think would be a, a good middle material, and then what I feel could be a good closer. And to me, for me, uh, like when I was designing my act for FISM back in 90, 1990, when I went to FISM in ninety one, I knew that I only had ten minutes to to set for the act at that time. So I know I needed to have a fast, strong opener, which I developed. I produce a glass out of fire. And I think that's important because that's your establisher. It establishes you as a master of your craft. And and then you can produce coins, you know, from fire. And then I would do into a into a, my my handling of the coins and cylinder, the John Ramsey's coins and cylinder, and then of course into my three cup routine. Um, but it's important that even if you do it slowly, they have to trust you. And they the audience at an opener has to feel, well, this guy's interesting. He's engaging. I find him interesting. And you only have about, what, 30 seconds or so before an audience realizes whether or not they're going to 
allow you to give to 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 gift you with their time and their attention. So you need to really establish it, maybe not in a flashy way, but if they find you interesting and engaging, they'll listen. And if they feel that there's going to be a payoff at the end, they'll focus their attention and give you their attention. And what, okay. So you already said that as an opener, you want something that's going to hit them fast. Um, In my particular case. Yes. That's what I do. And I've maintained that for a long time now. Now, for me, no, I understand. How and how long would you say your openers tend to be? This particular opener that I use now in the show, in the Pure Magic show, is probably under two, uh, you know, a minute and a half, ninety seconds. I produce a glass out of fire because that's important. I welcome the audience, and then boom, there it is. And now I know I have their attention, and then I immediately go into my second effect, which was, of course, producing coins out of fire. And dropping them in the glass. So dropping in the glass is important because not only do you get the visual, but you get the audible when I drop the coin inside of the glass. So then they know it's solid. Right. And you know, you said and something. Know real. That's important. Yes. And you said something interesting that I want to make sure our listeners really pay attention to when you said when you start to work okay. on your show, you look at pieces that you have already done, that you already know. So you're not you know, starting a show with mm -hmm. like, hey, I think I'll just learn these five pieces and make them into a show. Because that's really not probably going to happen. Yeah, no. No, no. I mean, I, I was always, I always rejected the idea of a guy coming into a magic shop saying, I have a show tonight. What, 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 what's new here that I can do for tonight? So I would always, please, I, I work months, years on a, on a piece until I feel that it's ready in an audience. You right. know, and... um and and now let's talk before yeah. we get into the middle because the middle has a lot. I think people have a tendency to just say middle, but I, we're going to cover that. And the middle has a lot of nuances. <laughs> but let's talk about your uh, the yes. ending pieces. Uh, so your closers. Okay. What, how what what goes through your mind for your closers? Well, your closer is important because that's your last impression. That's the impression that the audience is walking away with, and I think it's very important to be genuine. Uh, in that piece, and it has to be impactful. So, like I was talking to you about my interpretation or reinterpretation of Dean's box, that's my closer in the show, and um, I think it's really, really strong. Um, I know it's really, really strong because when I when I started doing it, the reaction from lay people because that's the whole thing. My act and my magic is designed for lay people. Yes. Magicians can enjoy it. That's great. And I'm, and I'm happy that many magicians enjoy what I do. But it has to be, if I'm going to spend the time and the effort, I am going to make sure that the, the piece that I'm working on can work on both levels, both for magicians and for the laity. That's a regular audience. That's really important to me because that's at the end of the day, magic is an art form. When it's when it's well done, it can achieve art art status, and I want people, an audience, to realize and feel the passion that I have for this art form, and I want them to go. You know, that is something special. Magic can be an art form. So let's get back to the Dean Dill box, which you end with. Um, you decided on that piece mm -hmm. because why? Because it's different, um, 
not too many people. I mean, people do it, but again, I, the people I've seen do it for the most part. Very, very few. I can't even say very few people do that piece. Very few. And and and, and, and it's more like a uh, a puzzle to me mm-hmm. when I've seen it done, and not and, and it's clever, but it doesn't tie me emotionally, and that's important that the audience get the emotion in what you do, and and the passion that you have. So my storyline is is a historical storyline. You know, I take motistic license with some of the some of the parts of the routine, but I took a three phase routine and made it into a seven phase routine. Okay, and each phase builds up to the fi- finale. And um, one of the biggest compliments I have ever gotten when I did the routine, I did it at a conference that was held up in Canada. And uh, Max Maven was in the audience, and he was sitting in the front row. And at the end, uh, I got a standing ovation when I when I did the box. And uh, Max came up to me and goes, that was great. I loved it. And I said, oh, man, you have no idea. I, I love Max. And uh, how much that meant to me. And I just looked at him and I said, hey, Max, how long do you think that piece runs? He said, what, four, maybe five minutes? And I just smiled. Or I had a, a grin from ear to ear because the piece runs 10 minutes long. And I told him it runs 10 minutes. And he looked at me. He goes, no. So that's when I knew that this piece is engaging because they lose track of time. Yes. And, and- – that's really For the important. listeners who haven't seen the show, one of the things I found interesting when you did that was uh, you actually let the spectator touch the box. They actually hold the box and and inspect it. Yeah. And, and there's a little part of right. me that was like, oh, 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 <laughs> because the box is expensive and probably very difficult to get now. Uh, but, I, but I believe that helped really draw. Well, mine is different. Mine, mine is way different. It's not the original oh, so box. Redesigned the box, okay. yes, and but it's okay. I want the box to be examined. I need them to touch. Yes, it. I, I, I I like to hand out most stuff. I thought that was fantastic <laughs> in bringing them even in. Like, no, it's not just some magic prop. It's just a box. He let the guy hold it, and I think that really uh, right. uh, brings him in. But the box and the storyline has has a historical reference to it, and has historical meanings, and has histo- it has. Pa- you know, meaning to me, a personal meaning to me, and how I obtained the box. It's all part of the storyline, and um, and 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 I found that the audiences really, really, really dug it. They really got into it because I wasn't sure if it was going to be well received. I had only hoped. No, it, 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 but you don't know until the end of the day. Well, so many mysterious things happen in that box while you're while you're showing us, and and it just. Keeps and then right. you keep showing. It's just a box. It's just empty, and and it and it's quite. The, it. You see the. It was a great. It was a great show. But now let's talk about the middle. Thanks. And and going back to the box right. again. I I again want to say I, I want to make the point of you know hardly see anybody do that box, and it's interesting you you choose that piece as your closer because no one else is doing it, right. and it sets you aside. Where when I look at how many people use a closer that like for instance Bill and Lemon, which is ubiquitous, everyone does it. And you made the yeah you know, the mm-hmm. very conscious choice. I'm going to do. I'm going to close some with something that is rarely done. And I think that's an important right. point for for many people who are oh, designing. And, yeah. yeah, and done in a and and done in a in a formal a formal setting as opposed to just a you know over the counter magic. Yes, I think that's important. Now we'll talk about the middle, which uh, I think a lot of people kind of write off as just oh it's just some tricks we do in between the closer and the 
opener, but the middle mm-hmm. really established. Well, it kind of is, but <laughs> but it establishes. It kind of is, but, is. But, but it establishes a character. Yes. I think the middle, the middle part. Here's the thing. I mean, there's a lot of ways of designing a show. I mean, you can design a show where the effects are so well integrated to the storyline that it's like one long piece with no breaks in it. Uh, I don't do that. I like to have I like to have individual pieces that are like individual vignettes, yet they still can maintain the through line. And the through line is me being doing classical magic pieces. And most of the presentations in my show is about you know the classics of the art form and how i how uh, how much i love them you know and and it's important that during that show you show different degrees and i think it's important also they to me specifically to have a variety of effects i mean i don't want to do seven card tricks i don't want to do 12 coin tricks i want to do a card trick maybe two card tricks do a coin trick, do a thimble trick, do a, a paper, tournament restored paper trick, um, do something uh, completely different, a mind reading piece. Everything in my show has a different type of effect to it. And the reasoning for that is, oh, I do thimbles, okay? And I do a thimble routine, which is very strong. I want the audience, in case the audience is someone in the audience is sitting, you know, I hate card tricks. You know, but that simple trick was really clever. I like that. Um, or, you know, I don't like coin tricks, but that paper trick, how we made that transposition and how it got restored. And that was very, very clever. All the coins. Oh, my God. How we made it. That gives them a variety. So if they don't like one specific thing, there's got to be something in my show that you're going to like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I agree. Your show is uh, very uh, Varied. I mean, I guess that's where I want to use it. You have a, you, we're on, we're, yeah, we're yeah. doing ups and downs. And, but, but beyond that, I, w- I want to talk about your character because, of course, that's, that's very important to making this show interesting mm-hmm. because you truly come right. off as a magician who has studied these old uh, uh, tomes and now they're, you want to share them with the audience. But, but you don't, like I see many magicians make it goofy or, or they, they talk in a way that it's it's very tongue-in-cheek, but you don't do that. You really, mm-hmm. even though you're making us laugh at times, you're, you take the magic very serious. Mm-hmm. But how did you develop this character? Right. What, what Where did you come from? With it? Well, I take, I take that, you know, I, you know I, I used to be very aggressive uh, with my performances. Uh, that's because I was working in the nightclubs in the city, and New York audiences are not very forgiving. So you really have to, hit him over the head. And then I started changing my style and pulling back. I'm not saying that I don't get um, excited about my pieces, but I, I think it's important to show different degrees of your personality. And my character, the character that I have, is not necessarily my real, per- my day-to-day person. It is based on that day-to-day person, but it's hopefully a more likable <laughs> version of me, <laughs> you know, where people will like it and find it. And I also think, especially specifically in magic, is that if you're going to be that magician that comes out and every card is produced perfectly and your suit is perfect and everything is perfect and you're the flawless guy up there, they're not going to relate to you. 
Audiences are not going to relate to you in that. The audiences are going to relate to the guy who has some flaws to him to make him human. You know, and and because that's something they can relate to and engage and lock in on. Oh, well, well, how's he gonna? Is he gonna get away? Is he gonna do it? Like Houdini? You know, is he gonna make that escape? Is he gonna die? You know, it's important that you show uh, vulnerability in what you're doing, and that you're walking a line. Right. You know, you're walking a tightrope, and may, maybe this will work. Maybe this won't work, because that keeps that I think maintains their their you know, their interest. When you're building this show, you're building it from truths, and I see a lot of I right. see a lot of magicians, and they try to make up these crazy stories. Sometimes, you know, that they're just push, they're not believable anymore, and then they wonder why isn't my show authentic? Why why am I not really connecting with the audience? Where, you know, you have chosen that way of I'm going to tell you truths, and as you said, we'll wrap some fantasy within those, but. But mm-hmm. we're starting in a truth, and I think that's why the audience is drawn in. That's why your shows are good. At the end of the day, when they're finished, and you're done, I mean, when you're finished and they're leaving, they have to feel that they know you. Whether they know the true, true you, they got to know that true character, that character, and feel that honest. This guy is telling me about something about him. I mean, that's what art form is, is and it doesn't matter the medium. It doesn't matter to me whether it's painting, whether it's uh, uh, sculpture, whether it's music. It's about communication. It's about you communicating. And the best way for you to communicate, and what we do, I mean, listen, let's face it. Magic takes an audience into a world that most theater does not go to. And that is we break the fourth wall. We have to then, we have to, we need, we don't just break it. We crash through it because we need that audience participation. We need their attention. They need to be focused. And the more focused they are, the better it is for you as a performer. Because that way you can guide them the way you want to guide them so that you can, like a gentleman, deceive them <laughs> and make them feel like, like, they, like, uh, like they're like they witnessing magic. And, and you one know? more thing I want to say and, uh, and, about your, your show is um, – this is, you know, when you watch it, you, you know that you're watching a strong magician. And although there are right. funny moments in your show, you definitely have some some great humor, mm-hmm. uh, humorous moments. You're not a comedian. Where do you find these jokes? Where do you, how do you find these funny moments? Do you have other people help you or do you just find them on your own? Where do they come from? It's interesting because some of them come to me and I write them. And a lot of them come from the audience. When you're, you know, I, I was fortunate back in the day to have a couple of nightclubs where I worked at and I was able to go to open mic nights and be bad. I was, <laughs> I had a place to be bad and that's important. You need a place where you can be bad and then come back next week and be a little bit better and then come back the next week and be a little bit better and listen to the audience. The audience <laughs> will give you great lines and great timing. And if you have a, you know, decent wit, and you are truly engaged with that audience because that's really about it. You have, to, you have to be totally engaged with that audience. Not just them being engaged with you. You have to be engaged with them. I and mean, I've always heard of this term called be in the moment. Be in the moment. And I always thought I knew what that meant. Now, it wasn't until about 10 years ago where I was doing my one-man show at the Metropolitan Room that was directed by Bob, uh, Bob 
Bob Fitch, who was my director. And uh, I'm doing the show. We had about 100 plus people in the audience. And the show is just rocking. I mean, I, for some reason, that audience and me became like one entity, for lack of a better term. And it was just, I couldn't do anything wrong. And, and they knew where I was. They trusted me. They were with me. And I was guiding them through. And at the end, I just sat there and I go, I, now I get it. I get it. If you hit it right and you do everything right and that audience is with you, it is the most intoxicating feeling that you'll ever have. And I can't explain it to anybody else who's not a performer. It's like you walk off and you're finished and you're sweating because the amount of internal energy that you're burning when you're doing this and, 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 and when you're doing it, it's all right. And it's just an amazing, amazing feeling. I remember you would just, you know, be sweating. <laughs> my, my shirt would be drenched and everything else. And I'm going like, I never felt better. We're getting close to the end. And, and I want you to, because I think people listening now are getting a definite feeling that this writing a show is not going to be easy. They're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to have pieces they've already been doing. They're going to have to go somewhere where they can be bad and keep working on pieces and then they have to figure right. out who they are, you know, how, how they're going to present these pieces. It's not an easy road. No. Uh, so here's my question. Uh, if someone came up to you yeah. and you are now the magic oracle, mm -hmm. I want you to think, yes, oh, you are the magic oracle right now. What? And I am that young guy and I want to, and I want to write my own show. What is the question you want them to ask? How do you do your own show? I mean, I think you have to work on the pieces and and figure out what attracts you in magic and what you can present. I mean, I remember having a conversation years ago with Charlie Reynolds at a dinner, and we're having dinner and we're talking about what makes a successful magician. I mean, I mean, when I was a kid, I thought I'd, you'd have to have a hundred card tricks, and I used to know about almost a hundred card tricks, and I would study them and practice them every day. And then I stopped, and finally, you know, picked up tricks that I can do that I felt that I can present. But Charlie was very honest. He goes, listen, most of the successful magicians, seven, eight tricks, and that's what they did for life. And it was a different world back then, of course. Um, but that's what they, they did. And I remember that opening my mind, you know, you know, hearing David Devant, hey, you know, when a kid comes up to him and goes, I do 157 card tricks. How many do you do? And David Devant looked at him and goes, seven, <laughs> and walked away. Because he presented seven right. tricks. Eric, I want to thank you for being on the yes. Magic Business Podcast. This has been a real treat. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to our Magic Business Podcast. Please visit the magicoracle.club where you can hear all of our Magic Business Podcasts and enjoy a vast array of additional magical knowledge. We want to leave you with this quote from Di Vernon. In magic today, as always, the effect is what counts. The method or methods are purely secondary. As always, we at the Magic Oracle wish you continued success on your path in the magical arts.